Well, last week we said, as Cole was here and I was in Malvern, we said that we like to kind of place things in our lives in a special box. We have compartments for everything, and included in that, we usually have a special compartment handpicked by us, maybe handmade by us, that is a compartment for God. It's kind of a God-sized box for us. And we expect that everything in this box is kind of God's box. And without realizing it, we do tend to live kind of compartmentalized. So I brought several of my compartments with me. As you can see, that bottom one that supports it all is every plate. Got to get my food in. <laughs> That's pretty important to me. The next one is Thrive, a Thrive box, because, you know, got to get those supplements in. And then the next ones, too, are Amazon, and those have all kinds of things in them. You know, we, got, we all have compartments. Some of these for you may be your family life, your work life may be a different box. Girls' night out might be another box. Boys' night out, the hunting trips, the, the, the deer camp. I, I don't know what boxes you have in your life, but we all have compartments. But this is a special one. This is the God box. And this is the one where, you know, it just really works better if God stays in his box that I've created for him. It, it kind of, my life is smoother if God will stay in his box anyway. And we readily admit that this is a special box. God's box, it, it is special. Because he is important to us, but he really needs to stay in his compartment. <laughs> I, I mean, we just really don't need Jesus to begin free-ranging through all the other boxes I've got. I need him to stay right here, and for me, it works better. And sure, God is important, but so are these other things important too. Now, last week, we said that we have this tendency to call this, this is what we're going to call it, this is the God plus lifestyle. Sure, God is important, maybe even really important, but so are these other things. And that's what we get, the God plus. In other words, um, I've, I've got God that I'm going to follow, plus all these other things that are important to me too. I follow God, and I follow all this stuff too. And it leads uh, to a Christian life that really begins to become uh, discontent. You know, I, I get discontent with this life. I get bored with this life. And you may understand what I'm saying, because maybe you're right in the middle of that too, and maybe you feel discontent with your Christian life, and maybe you feel bored with it. Well, the truth is, if we're living our life this style, with compartment, and trying to keep everything separate, it just doesn't work. It is a recipe for life that does not work. And here's why. We said last week that Jesus designed us for a life that is ruined apart from him. In other words, we're ruined for anything apart from Jesus. And our bottom line last week, we said this. When the living, breathing Jesus is at the center of everything in our lives, fruit happens. That means when we let God out of his box, and we allow him to get in the middle of every other compartment that we have, him in the middle of all those compartments, then fruit begins to happen in our lives, which is exactly where we as a church, as Stuttgart Harvest Church, and as our baby church in Malvern, the church in Malvern, as churches, that's where we want to go this year. That's where we want to head. But the question is, well, how do we get there? Because we don't want to just offer you steps. Here are the steps you take. We don't want to offer you, here are the best tricks. If you'll just do this, you'll get there faster. We don't want to offer you tips and just give you a tip. Follow these tips and you'll arrive. 
We don't want to give you the best practices. So without those, how does it happen? Okay, so hang on to that question because we're getting there. But before we get there, first, we have to know from where we are starting. We have to know our starting point. And for some of us, that's tough. I know it is for me. For us to figure out our starting point can be, oh, it can be tricky. And here's why. Um, let me give you a little peek into the life of Harley. I know, kind of scary. You might say kind of empty. Any of those things, they all apply. I often view life with optimism. It's not a bad thing. I have this feeling it'll all work out. It's going to work out. Not everybody has that feeling. That's just kind of something I'm hardwired for. Cole is too. Just that feeling. It's all going to work out. Everything will be ultimately okay. But there have been seasons in my life. I can think of one in particular that lasted two and a half decades, a quarter of a century. A season in my life where in a relationship, things just weren't adding up. I was being told one thing, but then there were whole lots of signs that were coming to me that were saying, hmm, these signs are contradicting what I have been told. And here's Harley's tendency is just to, well, kind of ignore them, just to have that optimism and think, well, okay, it's kind of weird, but it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. I was being lied to for a quarter of a century, lied to. But in my mind, here's the conversation that's playing. It sounded like this. Oh, surely not. No, everything's probably going to be okay. But it wasn't. It wasn't okay. After all, I'm an optimist. And my influences, uh, that optimism is going to influence every world perspective and every relationship that I have. But here's the hard, hard truth. For my life, what can look like optimism on the outside might actually be me simply ignoring reality. And that's significant. Because having a good understanding of what is really happening, that is important. You see, if we ignore and we just want to like kind of hope that things are going to be okay, hope that everything's going to be all right, listen, that's not optimism. That's fantasy. That is false hope. And here's why. Because that false hope, that fantasy, that in my case, optimism, was not any way connected in any way, to my reality. Now, whether that reality is good or whether that reality is brutal, false optimism gets in the way of me seeing my reality. Now, there's another thing that can get in the way of me facing my reality. Maybe you can relate to this. It's comparison. Here's what that looked like. Here's what, it's like I, I say, okay, listen, I know I'm not perfect, but have you seen that guy? <laughs> I know, I'm, I, I, listen, yeah, I messed up, but have you seen him? <laughs> and as long as I keep looking at him, listen, I don't have to worry about me, right? 
I'm not that bad. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I may not be in love as uh, in love with Jesus as much as this guy over here. But listen, come on. This guy's weird. And anyway, I'm not that bad, right? I'm not that bad. That's comparison. Have you ever tried to make yourself feel better by using the comparison trap? I have. And I bet, I bet, if you're breathing, <laughs> I bet you have too. We compare. Sometimes it's just a diversion, a comparison. Here's what I mean by that. Like, I know I'm bad, right? I know I have problems with me, but I don't want you looking at those. So let's look at this. I'll point to this guy's problem. Let's look at him. And it keeps you from looking at my problems if we're looking at his problems, right? It's a diversion. Um, It's one way for me not to have to focus on my reality. We can focus on their reality instead. Simply put, the whole thing just leads to us ignoring our reality. And in doing so, as long as we're ignoring our reality, we are um, overlooking not paying attention to our own starting place. Ah, but (laughs) Jesus has a way of helping us face our starting place, our reality. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context before I read from this passage we're going to be looking at today. So here's the context. Here's what was going on when this was written and what it's recording. So Jesus, at this point in this story, has resurrected, all right? So he has already defeated death. It's a new day. It's a new season. Now, his, his followers are kind of awestruck. They have no idea what's coming. Everything they thought they knew about all this is in turmoil. It's been turned upside down. So things are beginning to become more and more clear in this period of time after Jesus is risen from the dead and he's walking around with them, all right? So things are becoming more clear. But one thing is certainly crystal clear. This guy, Jesus, he is the real deal. They know this. Their leader, the rabbi, the the one they followed for three years, he was stone cold dead, and now there's blood moving through his body again. He is living. They have seen it. They've been with him. So on this occasion, uh, a handful, several of his disciples were fishing. That's what many of them did. They were uh, former professional fishermen. Um, And so they're fishing, and they look to the beach, and they realize that Jesus is on the beach. And not only that, but Jesus cooked breakfast for them. What? That's a big deal to me. He's got my heart at breakfast. And so they see that. This is amazing. This is now the Jesus who was dead, now alive. He's cooking breakfast for them. They rush to the beach. They have breakfast with Jesus. They enjoy their visit. Now the meal is over. It's time to get down to business. Playtime is over. And this is how this story goes down. John gives us this account. If you don't know John, it's the one as you read the gospel, the biography of John about Jesus, uh, as you read that, he's the one that keeps saying, John, the disciple that Jesus loved. (laughs) So he's really humble too. And um, John is giving us this account. He's writing it down because John was there. And here's how he writes it down. 
John chapter 21, and we're going to start with verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, and so now we're quoting Jesus, Simon, son of John, whoa, this is getting serious right off the bat. Jesus uses his full name with heritage. It's as if he's saying, now, Harley Fisher Douglas Petty, son of Pete, <laughs> and he's going to have your attention, right? He got you. So he's got Peter's attention, used his big full name with heritage, and now he asks the question, do you love me more than these? Ah, it's as if Jesus is saying, all right, Peter, let's have this difficult conversation right now. Let's face the brutal reality. This is where, Peter, you are starting from. And I'm going to, let's compare these to some things. So here comes the question. Jesus asked this one question, but it literally can be interpreted three ways. So let me give you this one question that's actually three questions. Here's, here's the first. First, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these others love me? In other words, Peter, do you love me more than John loves me? Uh, it, it's, it's like, what if he asked us that same question today? Cole's over in Malvern. He said, Cole, do you love me more than Bryce loves you? Bryce is one of our teachers over there. Or, or here, it could be Harley. Harley, do you love me more than Jeremy loves me? Jeremy's one of our teachers here. Do you love me more than these others? That's a big question. And we hear that and we're like thinking, Jesus, that's mildly inappropriate. <laughs> but it's not. He goes on. Second, here's the second question. Peter, do you love me more than these others? In other words, Peter, do you love me more than you love your brother, Andrew? Harley, do you love me more than you love your wife? Now, Jesus, you're meddling. Third, here's the third way this can be interpreted also legitimate. Peter, do you love me more than these things that have made your old life, that have made your former identity? Do you love me more than that? Peter, do you love me more than your fishing career? Peter, do you love me more than you love your old way of life? Harley, do you love me more than the life that you and Vanessa have built? Wow. Now to these questions, which was one question, Peter gives a resounding, quick, immediate answer, which is very on brand for Peter. Here's what he says immediately. Why, yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Uh, say again. As I was growing up, it was, uh, do what? Excuse me, Peter? I, I thought I heard you say, yes, you know I love you. So let me give you some information here. Just days before, Jesus asked Peter these questions. Peter actually had the opportunity to put action into those words. The words that say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter had an opportunity to live that. But Peter didn't 
live that. No, 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 no. Earlier, just days earlier, Simon, the son of John, in fact, he said, no, 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 I don't know that blankety-blank Jesus. Hmm. Now, what I'm getting ready to say, I don't know this because John certainly didn't record it. But Peter must have realized what tree Jesus was barking up here. He had to realize it. And I can just imagine Peter saying, okay, Jesus, we both know I can't point to my action in order to answer that question. You know it, Jesus, and I know it. I failed miserably. So, at this point, I can only use my word. And yes, yes, in my heart, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus, you know my heart. But here's the thing. Our actions come from our heart. That's the brutal reality. And see, Peter's actions just days ago told a very different story from the words he was using right there. And Jesus is not going to let this drop. He's not just going to pass over and pretend that this didn't happen. Okay. So, Peter, you say that you love me. Now we're going to ask you to show it. So here's what Jesus said. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Peter, if you love me the way you say that you love me, then, here we go, Peter, I have a task I want you to do. Now, I hope you're leaning into this. And please, be very aware. Pay attention to the tension that Jesus is creating. Because Jesus is now going to double down. Jesus, in verse 16, we're told, he repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He's saying, look at me in the eyes. Simon, right here. Do you love me? This time he doesn't use a comparison. It's just the brutal reality. Peter, do you love me? Now, sometimes when we read over this exchange, this is a very famous exchange. You very likely have heard this several times in your life. Sometimes we kind of, uh, what gets lost is the brutal reality of Peter's starting place. We're not going to let that happen today. We want to make sure you understand exactly where Peter is and his starting place. So I want to give you the words that Peter used Days, if not hours, before. Days to hours before Peter failed so miserably. I want to give you some more words he used. And here's what he used to say, Jesus, this is how much I love you. Matthew 26, verse 33. Peter declared to Jesus, Even if everyone else deserts you, in other words, even if all of these other losers don't have what it takes to stand their ground, he said, even if they all desert you, I will never desert you. 
Peter. The brutal reality is, you did desert Jesus. You did deny him. So which is it, Peter? You love him or you deny him? You follow him or you desert him? When Jesus asked the question the second time, do you love me? Peter again immediately responded, here it is. Here's what he said. Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Really? I do. Well, show me. Jesus immediately says, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Now, Jesus is persistent. (laughs) And I know, listen, we're hard on Peter. That's just kind of how comparisons work, after all. But what if this were me? And Jesus was asking me, what if this were you? Jesus was asking you. See, Jesus kept on with Peter here. He's forcing Peter to look at the brutal reality of Peter's denial. The, 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 the thing that he screamed with his action, that he didn't love Jesus, that's what his actions revealed, regardless of what his words were. At least it was, he didn't love Jesus in the way he said that he loved Jesus. But I love this. At the same time that Jesus is forcing him to look at his brutal reality, Jesus continues, and persistently is offering Peter a hope for his future. I love that. A hope for his future. Simon Peter. Simon, Jesus, still, he still has something for you even in the midst of this brutal reality, your denial. He still has something for you. So here we go with the persistent Jesus. A third time, he asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Brutal friend. The tension in this exchange is brutal. Jesus is not going to skip past this fact. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the other disciples? I mean, they're having trouble making eye contact. You know what it's like when you're uncomfortable? It's like, oh, I just have to look away. (laughs) This is a train wreck for Peter. I have to look. I can't look. But I can also imagine John is just looking like this. He's kind of excited because I always pick up in the gospel, there might be a little tension between Peter and John. So he's like, oh, yeah, lay it on him, Jesus. Lay it on him. Understandably, Peter is struggling And John tells us that. Here's what he says. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And it's as if Jesus is saying, okay. Then prove it. Show me. I want action. Jesus says, then feed my Peter, I want you to show me that you love me. Not with your words. I want to see it with your actions, with your decisions. 
You see, Peter's words were a little bit hollow because when given the chance for him to show Jesus that he really did love him with his action, Peter instead showed that he loved Peter more, he loved his life more than he loved Jesus. But we have to give Peter a break. You see, before all of this, Peter believed that his rabbi, Jesus, was God. He believed that. He believed that his rabbi was the Messiah. But he didn't know that. But now, as Jesus is asking these questions, a lot has happened since then. And now Peter does know that, he's, that Jesus is God. He does know that Jesus is the Messiah, because Peter is now sitting on the beach talking to the man who just a few days earlier, Peter saw beaten, he saw flogged, and he saw nailed to a cross. The man putting Peter through this interrogation, this tension right now, through this ringer, is the same man that Peter saw die and buried. So before all of that, Peter's love for Jesus was, maybe you could just say so-so. It was kind of middle of the road. It might have been a love of convenience. But now that he has seen the risen Jesus, now Peter's love is all-encompassing, and he has been ruined for anything but Jesus. In fact, through this next part of the dialogue, Peter is about to find out exactly what is going to happen in order for him to ultimately prove his love for Jesus. John fills this in, verse 18. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He's speaking to Peter. When you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And that's a little mysterious for us. I don't have to clarify what the meaning is because John tells us next what the meaning is. Verse 19, he said, Jesus said this to let him, that's Peter, know by what kind of death he would glorify God. In other words, Jesus is letting him know, Peter, this road of following me, it's going to be tough, tougher than you can imagine. And in spite of that, in spite of knowing he has, den Peter denied him, Peter denied him, Peter denied him. In spite of that, Jesus ends this with this phrase. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Now that's how his journey with Jesus started when Jesus said, follow me. And now Jesus tells him that again, Peter, follow me. It's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, listen, even though all of these things are getting ready to happen to you, and it'll all be for my sake, it'll be tough. But even knowing this, Peter, I'm asking you to follow me and keep on following me. Peter, let's not repeat what just happened a few nights ago. Let's not repeat that. The brutal reality is this, Simon, Peter, you failed. You denied any 
connection with me. And you're going to have to face that brutal reality. But that starting point for Peter is followed up with something great. It is followed up with Peter's future hope being restored. It's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, even though all of those things are true about your denial, I am still going to ask you to follow me. Even though all of that is true, Peter, I am still going to ask you to follow me, and I have something amazing, Peter, for your future, something significant. Now that exchange that keeps me on the edge of my seat as I think about that. That was 2,000 years ago. But right now, today, as we begin the second week of 2023, our brutal reality might be this. Jesus asking us, why are you saying you love me and then living your life at school, at work, and in the neighborhood, and on the weekends, like you don't even know me. Why are you saying you love me, and you're living like you don't even know me? Now, for the next few minutes, I want us to consider that question without any false optimism, without any comparison that says, yeah, but have you seen this guy, Jesus? No, 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 no. Let's not think, okay, it'll it'll all work out in the end. It's going to be okay. I've got time to fix it. Well, I I know I at least love Jesus more than that person over there. I mean, I'm doing pretty good, Jesus. No, let's, let's, all of us, myself included, let's sit with that question for a moment. Can Jesus ask us right now, why are you saying you love me? And you're living like you don't even know me. The brutal reality is, like Peter, we have used our words to say that we love God. But it's very possible that our lives and our decisions and our priorities have screamed something different. Look, it's true for many of us, maybe even all of us. So let's wear that. Let's sit with that brutal reality. But even with that, my friends, that's not the end. See, Jesus does not run away from us after we sit with that question and we're honest with that question. Jesus does not then run away from us and say, all right, well, I told you so. You're screwed up. It's all on you. And walk off. He doesn't do that. He doesn't leave us in that hopeless state. And he didn't leave Peter in that hopeless state either. Yes, he got after Peter. Yes, he got on Peter. He he probably made Peter feel really uncomfortable, maybe even bad. 
But the entire time through that exchange, Jesus had a prevailing hope for Peter. And I want you to know, he has a prevailing hope for you. He has a prevailing hope for me. A hope that we will prevail in the end if we begin following him with passion that only comes through his love and through his grace. See, this dialogue between Peter and Jesus, it's not about Jesus shaming Peter for what Peter did. And then Jesus just moving on. I put him in his place and moved on. No, no, no. Look at what Jesus is telling Peter in all of this. Jesus told him, basically, Peter, you are back. I love you. Peter, no hard feelings about what happened the other day. No hard feelings about the whole denying me thing. Peter, focus. This is where you are, but follow me. I've got a new starting place for you, Peter. We're starting again. I started you off with follow me, and I'm asking you again, follow me. Now, this is amazing to me. You would think Peter's answer to Jesus would be, oh, thank God. Oh, Jesus, yes, absolutely. Thank God. Follow you? Oh, okay, yes, yes. Where are you going? I am on. Listen, I know I messed up, but I am on this time. I am willing to go anywhere you tell me to go. Anything you tell me to do. Whoo, got another chance. Jesus, I am on. What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? That's not what happened. He didn't say that. This is why I love Peter. because. Honestly, he reminds me so much. The bad parts of Peter remind me so much about myself. Just when you think Peter can't do anything dumber, he goes and totally redeems himself. (laughs) That's not how the interaction ended. All of that stuff happened. Jesus makes him face this brutal reality And Jesus offers him hope. And Jesus says to Peter, now, once again, Peter, follow me. And what does Peter do? Listen, I can't make this stuff up. John chapter 21, verse 20. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. Come on, John. (laughs) He's writing it. He always lets us know the disciple Jesus loved. All right, John, we get it. But he gives us another clue to make sure we understand who this is. You know, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? All right, so he gives us all that context. But he's saying, Peter turned around and saw that this John was behind them, and he asked Peter, ask Jesus. Jesus. What about him, Lord? What about him? Oh, Peter! Why? Let's be honest, come on. That's our problem too. Our tendency when we're trying to face the brutal facts is for us to look around, look around and then say, but Jesus, what about them? What about this guy? Diversion? Maybe. Comparison? Certainly. Comparison is such a subtle sin because it's almost always something that's internal. And one of Satan's greatest tools against Christians 
Because listen, it's so easy for him to use. We do all the work. He really doesn't have to do anything. He just has to convince us to take our focus, our worship off of Jesus Christ and simply place it on something, somebody near us. Another brutal reality. But Jesus, he's going to help Peter face this one too. He's not going to leave it. Jesus replied in verse 22, Peter, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you, Peter? As for you, Peter, follow me. Peter, don't worry about John. You worry about you. Follow me. Don't worry about the horse, Peter. Just load the wagon. Follow me. Harley, don't worry about what I have for coal. Harley, follow me. Come on. Pride, jealousy, resentment, envy, insecurity. They all come from me comparing myself to somebody else. Peter, stop looking at John's reality. John's purpose. Quit looking at it. Peter, just focus on what I have for you. Peter, worship me. Harley, Cole, Jeremy, you stay in the lane that I have for you. Look at your brutal reality. Look at your purpose. And you follow me. Wherever that takes you. It's such a simple concept. but Oh, it's so hard to do. Here's what one of the wisdom writers, how they worded it in the New Covenant. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So he calls it like a race. And he says, listen, it's marked out. You've got a lane for you. You've got a lane for you. I've got a lane for me. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes. Let us focus. Let us worship Jesus. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. My friends, we're landing this plane really hard today, really fast. We all have a purpose that has been marked out by God for each one of us. He has given you a lane to run in. He's given me a lane to run in. And it's as if Jesus is out in front of me and he's out in front of you and he's hollering and he's cheering. He's saying, come on, this way. Stay with me, this way. Follow me, come with me, stay with me. Stay in your lane, follow me. And he's cheering you on. Stay in the lane I've marked out for you. Follow me. Stay in your lane. This is for you right now. Stay in that lane and follow me. And that's what we want at Stuttgart Harvest Church. That's what we want at the church in Malvern. That's how we want 
to run, and that's how we want to teach us this year to run. Running forward in our lane with our eyes forward, worshiping the risen Jesus. We have to stop running like this. Looking at every, you don't see Olympic runners running like that. Looking at everybody else. Looking at the people behind them. Looking at the people to the side. They're looking ahead. Looking in front. Following Jesus. It's what Peter needed to do. It's what Peter was invited to do. To take his eyes off of everybody else to take his eyes off of John and put them on his reality and the hope and the future that Jesus had for him. Accept that reality, what he's done, what I've done, what you have done. Accept it. Live in it. It's where we are. But remember, he has a purpose, a future, something more for you. A reality, yes, something more for you. And he says, follow me. Don't just say it. Do it. Everything we've said this morning can be summarized in this phrase. Face your reality. Look at Jesus. Follow him. Because if you're turning your head For anything else, it is Jesus plus. Jesus has a unique calling for you. Do you love him? Then pick up your cross. Follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, I I don't want to be trapped in a life of false optimism. I, I don't want to be trapped in a life of comparison, Jesus. So I'm asking you, help me face the reality of what my life says about my love for you. And will you help me see that I have a specific lane And you've asked me to run in it. And help me see what my life can be if I will keep my eyes on you, Jesus, instead of on someone else's lane. Jesus, I want to keep following you. Will you help me do it? And it's in your name, Jesus, I ask these things for me and for all my friends here today. Amen.